From the high desert in Far East West Texas, this is the world's fastest growing sports media podcast with that sports TV ratings. Hi, I'm Robert Seidman, and joining me on the High Desert Hotline today is ESPN's EVP of Programming and Scheduling, Burke Magnus. And I'm going to interview Burke for about 10 or 15 minutes, and then I'm going to bring in all-around good guy and internet scheduling enthusiast, Matt Sarziniak, uh, to join the call. Burke, welcome to the world's fastest-growing sports media podcast with that sports TV ratings. Thank you. Uh, pleasure to be here. Appreciate uh, the opportunity. Um, I'm I'm definitely glad to have you. So uh, I'll let you ex- extend your uh, your victory tour on the on the college college bowl ratings. There was a pretty good season uh, for ESPN all the way around. Not just the uh, not just the CFP championships and semifinals, but uh, also the you know the the entire bowl series. Uh, how did how did that go from your perspective? Uh, it went well. Um, you know, for us, it's it's uh, you know we try not to get you know either too excited or too disappointed about about year over year ratings when you're talking about something like like that. But obviously, it's become this barometer for, or as I like to say, referendum for success or failure in our business. Uh, even though it's really <laughs> Um, quite overblown um, in 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 each instance. Whether you know you're getting a, a, a release from 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 a from a TV entity touting their success, or whether people are wringing their hands over you know um, you know a downward you know uh, trajectory from from year over year. Right. So so I'm curious. You know, a lot of a lot of hand wringing happened on the uh, on the internets over the uh, over the CFP goal of uh, trying to establish. Um, you know, New Year's Eve as a as a beachhead for for the uh, for the semifinals, and 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 that didn't yeah. work out that well. Uh, but but from from your perspective, was was that ever as big of a deal as it was made out to be? Um, it turned out to be a big deal. Um, I, I didn't, you know, um, but I but here's where I sort of throw a bouquet in the direction of the. <laughs> You know of the of the commissioners and the and the and the chancellors and presidents of 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 the various uh, conferences that you know um, by 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 regular business standards uh, they figured out pretty quickly that it was right. a problem and they worked you know which you know in college sports Matt can probably uh, 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 appreciate this when we when we when when he's on is that um, you know by their standards. You know, they moved very quickly to fix right. it. Um, you know, and you know, it, it, it. By the way, it, it wasn't. It wasn't a surprise to us, and it wasn't shocking to us. Um, but it was the configuration of the games as they brought them to market to license right. the rights. So, right. you know, what what I thought got lost in translation a little bit was the fact that, you know, we knew what we signed up for. You right. know, we we you know we it was sold uh, that way to us and. You know, um, you know, the alternatives were either to buy it that way or license it that way or, or don't. And right. uh, so, you know, it, it turned out to be a much better circumstance for us to, to make the acquisition, see if the design was going to work or not. And it didn't. And then adjust. And, uh, you know, they, you know, the commissioners uh, were, were uh, uh, I thought, pretty, pretty quick and pretty thoughtful about um, about trying to get it right. Right. Yeah. And, and this year was the first, uh, this year was really the first year that, it, you know, it, 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 in its new configuration, kind of, it came to full bloom. Yeah. And I mean, so I don't know how much it helped, 
but I, you know, in one of those, every little bit, every little thing helps. I think it probably helped a little bit, even, even for the, for the championship. So, uh, that is good news going forward. Uh, yeah, that, definitely. And, and, and I agree with you. Uh, they, 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 uh, they cut their losses pretty quickly. They, they did, they did not uh, hold firm with the, with the new year's Eve thing, which was good. So, uh, you know, and, you know, of- it, it, there was so much, there was so much, uh, bad blood around the last days of the BCS. Right. You know, um, that I don't I I don't believe they wanted to let that set in at all with either critics or fans or just the perception that somehow uh, it it wasn't good. So early in its in its uh, life cycle was was uh, concerning. Right. Right. So on sort of a, a similar theme where where people are are concerned, but maybe more concerned than they should be. And you, you talked about this with uh, John Orand uh, maybe a couple of weeks ago. And uh, that's the uh, the empty seats at all the bowl games. And you had said that uh, that's not a problem for ESPN. And you don't think that's really any problem at all. And uh, it makes total sense to me. Uh, ESPN's making money on it. That's how I read it. The schools are making money. The players are getting to go to bowl games. So it's a, you know, it's a good setup. But the uh, but people have a hard time sort of uh, reconciling the visuals. I guess is how I would put it. How, you, do you have any advice for how how people can rec- reconcile <laughs> those visuals? My, my my primary piece of advice would be lean back, enjoy the good football game. Hopefully, it's a good football game, and just don't you know don't worry about it. Um, you know, I, I'm again I'm 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 a little mystified as to why the visual has become you know has become this occasion to hand ring you know i mean again we're looking for every occasion to hand ring i think in today's world yep. but but uh this one i it, i don't i don't get really you know why you know why it's a problem it's not ideal obviously we you know everybody would want um you know full stadiums great atmospheres you know raucous crowds um but remember how these things are are scheduled you know a lot of them are scheduled um you know on weekdays during week weekday hours, not in yep. prime time, not at night, you know, the, it's, you know, around the holidays and, and in the midst of the holidays, but you know, for, it's the same kind of argument for new year's Eve, you know, why that was a problem, you know, yep. like, you know, on Wednesday, I'm making it up, right. But on Wednesday, you know, December 28th at one o'clock in the afternoon, Eastern, you know, yes, that's around the holidays, but you know, a lot of people are working. It's, you know, in order to travel, if you're a fan to a game, you have to, in that case, take a couple days off. Maybe you don't have the vacation time, whatever. Like it, it is a, you know, it, it, a lot of those games are scheduled in a way where it's not, it's not terribly convenient for huge crowds. And, and we know that. And I think everybody knows that, right. but at the same, and, you know, at the same time, um, um, it's, it's really, it's not the end of the world. It, you know, a lot of these games play in big NFL stadiums because that's part of the allure uh, and benefit to, to the players who would right. like to, you know, to have that experience, you know, playing in a field where, you know, an NFL franchise plays is a big deal. And it's kind of cool, you know, no matter how many people are in the stands. And so there's, there's a, and, and by the way, the last thing I'll say is, Matchups dictate crowds uh, as yep. well, and, yep. and and you know games year over year games can have a vastly more marketable circumstance for ticket sales than they do the you know the next year or the year prior, and you know so when you get into the business of comparing bowl X you know last year versus this year versus next year, 
you know, you have to factor that in. And, and uh, there's no real great apples to apples circumstance unless you just take total attendance over all games. And, right. you know, that was that that I think that was down small signal digits this year. It's been up small single digits. I put it in the category of, you know, don't get too excited and go and don't don't get too depressed. Yep, I, I think that makes sense. And, uh, you know, not an ESPN problem, but uh, I'm in El Paso, you know, where the Sun Bowl is yeah. played and, uh, you know, was very matchup dependent this year. And it was the stadium yeah. was pretty empty and uh, it was a beautiful, gorgeous day in El Paso when it happened. But, you know, it's on a Friday when when people are doing stuff. And uh, like you say, it's yeah. it's really hard to. Uh, uh, you know, to, to fill all those things up. But I, you know, I, I would still rather have the Sun Bowl in El Paso than not have the Sun Bowl in El Paso. Yeah. And, and by the way, I shouldn't, you know, my, my, my events group would, would, uh, would, you know, slap my hand for suggesting that we don't care about attendance because in the, in the games that we do own and operate, we very much do care about attendance. Um, but at the same time, you know, I think we're all realistic about, the sale proposition um, for tickets in, you know, NFL size stadiums in it at we in weekdays with, you know, sometimes a good matchup, sometimes. I mean, just the stars can align and you get a huge crowd. Sometimes, sometimes you, they don't. And, uh, you know, um, year over year, I think we just try and remain even keeled about, you know, what it suggests, but from a content perspective, you know, you know how I feel. I, I send it out there on social a little bit yep. from a content perspective. You know, um, you know, the, 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 I, as I like to say, the only people not complaining that there's too many bowl games are fans. Um, <laughs> right. You know, they'll take as much football as you can give them. And I understand why. Yep. Yep. Uh, me too. I, well, all, all of that makes sense. So, um, so I just want to want to move on and quickly talk about uh, that, uh, you know, moving first take to ESPN. That was definitely good for first take. And it was yep. definitely good for ESPN in the mornings. Um, but it looks to me like, you know, ESPN2 paid, a, paid kind of a high toll uh, for that. And I, I'm just curious, like in your, in your role as a uh, as programmer, like how do you think about uh, uh, resurrecting and shoring up, uh, say, ESPN2's daytime lineup? What does that look like for you? Yeah, now that we've been through an entire year of that cycle, um, you know, not that the results weren't weren't evident uh, pretty quickly it obviously was a very good thing for first take and their audience right and you know and our belief that sports center would translate uh, from a viewership perspective um you know to espn2 in the same numbers that they were getting on espn in the morning hours um or over those equivalent two hours um you know didn't really come to pass which right. which um you know, which when you again, you can look at it in a number a number of different ways, and you know, uh, we tend to focus on uh, the positive aspects on first take, and uh, but if the two networks over the you know uh, were, were aggregated and taken as a single number year over year, it was not a net positive. Um, but there's a variety of factors for 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 all of it. I mean, the way we've now sort of kind of figured out what. You know what uh, what we want to do uh, going forward. Um, I think you know we're going to debut um, Get Up, which is Mike right. Greenberg or the show with Mike Greenberg, Michelle Beadle, Jalen Rose um, in early April. That's going to uh, occupy the 7 to 10 a.m. slot on ESPN, um, uh, leading into First Take, um, and then we're going to continue to do Sports Center in the morning uh, on ESPN two. 
Um, and then we're going to cycle through re-airs of both get up and first take on a regular basis. So almost a time shifted philosophy, if you will, uh, for those two shows on ESPN2 before you get to uh, the middle of the afternoon where we're going to have an opportunity to um, uh, to schedule some original uh, programs on on uh, on ESPN2 that we're excited about. Pablo um, and Bamani and uh, what else? Uh, well, Pablo and Bamani will be on ESPN as well at noon, noon to one. Right. Uh, so, oh, you're the, talking the ESPN too. I'm sorry. On ESPN too. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so if the morning on ESPN looks like you know, get up from seven to ten, first take ten to noon, Pablo and Bamani show noon to one, and then into the the rest of the afternoon uh, for the moment as you know it. Uh, right. With the yeah, things like outside the lines and yeah, NFL Live and the Jump and Sports Nation, etc. Right. Uh, leading all the way to to six o'clock with highly questionable and around the horn and pardon the interruption, etc. Right. You know, we hope to uh, our hope is that once you clear Sports Center uh, in the morning on ESPN two, and then a time shifted version of Get Up uh, uh, at ten, starting at ten, and then first take after that. Um, you know, we'll have the opportunity on ESPN two, sort of mid, early to mid afternoon, to start programming um, some some new programs, uh, some of which have been there already. Uh, things like uh, Intentional Talk, um, which is our our daily baseball show. Um, you know, Jalen and Jacoby will likely get a uh, a regular home in the afternoon on ESPN two, and we have a couple other ideas that we're going to unveil um, as we get nice. closer to April. But you know, the idea is to to obviously, you know, um, um, uh, try and incubate things on ESPN2 as we have always done um, in the afternoon, um, notwithstanding the fact that we're, we're going to have these, you know, we're going to have a chunk of time after Sports Center that is, you know, the is re-air, if you will, of Get Up and, and First right. Take, which First Take has been a re-air in the ESPN2 schedule for a long time and actually pulls... Uh, quite a good audience, uh, um, you know, uh, as a rear, uh, which in our world is That's a big is, deal. is yep. good. Yep. Yeah, it's good. Um, we don't get too hung up on, um, you know, is it a rear versus an original if, if in fact it's providing a service to people who are able to catch it then as opposed to in its original uh, time slot. Yep, that 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 uh, that makes total sense. So, uh, okay, before bringing in uh, Matt, I just want to say I know the internet uh, can feel like you're being fire hosed with raw sewage sometimes, or that all people are doing is complaining about empty seats at bowl games, uh, but it's not <laughs> always like that. And uh, over the holidays, you know, it was really kind of heartwarming for me to see real life scheduler Burke. Shout out, you know, internet scheduling enthusiast Matt uh, Sarziniak, and uh, since Burke yeah. and Matt might be the you know the the only two people left who don't have their own podcast it's very gratifying for me uh to be able to pair you two guys up uh to talk about some scheduling stuff so matt uh welcome back to the podcast uh, thanks for having me and so, thanks for uh taking a few of my questions burke so, yeah, so not, the first not a problem i have oh go ahead uh, i guess the first question i have when it comes particularly both to college football and basketball uh do you guys use any uh, form of historical ratings data or uh, modeling to say, uh, I know that this matchup is going to draw best maybe during the day compared to other games that we might be picking up on a given week 
or in terms of particularly with some of the contracts that uh, uh, you, you basically split the rights with another entity, the idea that I know I'm going to have a certain week where I'm going to pick first or second, that this particular game is my best bet to garner the best possible rating I can get? Yeah, I mean, the the, uh, the simple answer is absolutely. I mean, those two categories in particular, foot, college football and college basketball, we have so much. I mean, they basically go back to the beginning of time for us. So we don't have audience data that uh, forever, but uh, we've been doing college football and, and basketball for so long that we have what I would suggest is the most reliable uh, information um, from an audience and research perspective on those two categories, almost than anything. Um, and it's also the two categories where there is the most flexibility afforded to you know to broadcasters, not just to us but to others, um, in terms of you know contractual ability to you know to um, either schedule or you know in the case of football get scheduled kind of in progress. Uh, college basketball generally most of it gets laid in before the season, uh, but then there's opportunities to flex networks and do wild cards and other things that that we rely on a lot of historical in order to make those choices um you know there's there's uh you you noted some of it um you know there's also um you know the you know the performance in season that that uh that uh educates college particularly college football selections you know if a particular team that may not be a historical bell cow you know, uh, is having a special season and the viewership is following that story, you know, you'll, you'll have that information, you know, on, in order to make picks on the fly. There's player storylines, whether that's Heisman hopefuls or, you know, special quarterbacks or NFL draft angles that inform picks. You, know, you noted the contractual um, fencing that goes around our deal and others in terms of, you know, our, our, uh, are you know certain limitations or requirements, um, and then there's just some intuition. I mean, there's undoubtedly it's as much, maybe not as much, but it's there's a lot of art to it, and and in addition to the science, and there's just a lot of you know we have people who you you know some of them and they're kind of unsung in the in the uh, in the uh, PR world often, but uh, but the, you know we have a lot of people who have been doing this for a long time. And they just have a great feel for, you know, what fans are going to react to. So sometimes you in, you zig and zag, and you defy what the what the data is telling you because you just have a good feel about something. And uh, so there's a little bit of intuition that goes into it as well. Well, that makes a lot of sense. Now, in in the past, uh, a lot of contracts from from what I read uh, were yeah. more built in a in a very rigid nature where Network A could show a game at uh, one time slot. Network yeah. B had their time slot. Network C had their time slot. And there was very little uh, non-exclusive uh, slots. Where today, right. for example, uh, I think the Big 12 was one of the big ones that used to have that. How has that been a positive, do you see, ratings-wise in terms of uh, the viewers that are consuming games? Well, for us, it's for us just purely from an ESPN's perspective. It's all it's it's helped to counterbalance the fact that, you know that, um, you know that we share the rights with, in particularly with Fox, um, who, you know, we split. Uh, I'll say split. Essentially, split the, the uh, 
the Big 12, the Pac-12, and the Big 10, um, which, you know, for us has not always been the case. Um, so when you have all of the inventory as opposed to part of it, and there is no selection process, you know, um, you know, ha- having to work around exclusive windows is uh, is a lot easier. Um, but as those have become split deals, um, you know, having the ability with only a few exceptions in the business now uh, to not have to worry about whether, you know, another entity is doing a national game from the same conference at the same time is, is, is necessary. Um, now, I think, I, I can't speak for, for our competitors, but certainly we keep an eye on that and we try to avoid, you know, two games from the same conference on big platforms at the same time because we understand that, you know, that, that conference allegiances also, you know, also, um, you know, would benefit fans to be able to watch, you know, games involving their rivals, if uh, you know, if they want to, rather than having two at the same time. But so you try and avoid it as best you can, but sometimes it can't be avoided. And, and having that flexibility, you know, um, is, is better than not having it. I mean, frank, frankly, that's the kind of the golden rule in, in the scheduling business and the programming business is, you know, the more flexibility, the better. And, uh, and, you know, there's a lot of limitations that we have to work around and complications. It's vastly more complicated than it ever was when I was literally doing it. Um, you know, so my team is now dealing with, you know, with complexities that go far beyond what they've ever been uh, before. But I think it's all to the benefit of the fans. It's a great time to be, you know, a college football fan, for example. Um, there's more games being put on more networks and more platforms than ever before. And, you know, it it, it is, you know, uh, to me, and, and this will long be the case after I have nothing to do with it, but, um, but you know, co- what, college football Saturdays for me are just, you know, the greatest manifestation of, you know, of the media business on behalf of sports fans in any category that I can think of. I, I, I wholeheartedly agree with that, Matt. Yeah, uh, I do as well. And, and thanks for bringing up the, uh, what I kind of noticed is a bit of a trend with the, the three conferences you mentioned where there are shared rights, where it looked like, particularly when it came to broadcast network games, there was almost like a gentleman's agreement of sorts where if one was broadcasting, uh, on an over-the-air network, the other one typically wasn't. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I kind of had a feeling that there was something going on there where it was uh, there was a general understanding, with with some rare exceptions that uh, generally the broadcast networks had their own exclusivity to that conference during that period of time. Yeah, it doesn't uh, it doesn't make for as good a it doesn't make for as good a story, Matt. But because I know that that uh, you know. Most people out there would envision, you know, the Fox schedulers and 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 the ESPN schedulers being like, you know, the functional equivalent of Washington D.C. and and North Korea, but um, you know, and I won't say who's who in that in, in that in that case, but uh, but but it really it, it, the complexity of it actually requires us to collaborate with each other at and communicate with each other at some level. Um, everybody's got to do what they have to do at the end of the day. But, you know, there's often times where just having that open dialogue with Fox, understanding that their needs are not always necessarily the same as our needs and being able to work together to make sure as much as possible 
you know, that everybody gets what they need and we don't do something that is, you know, kind of counter to, you know, to the fan experience actually results in a better schedule for both of us, in my opinion. And from that point, uh, you mentioned that, you know, your needs on a Saturday are different than, let's say, Fox's, for example. How was that, uh, let's say, uh, more challenging when uh, you guys haven't had NASCAR for, what, about four years, I think? Yeah, for a while, yeah. The NASCAR commitments, uh, how do those sometimes play into the Saturday schedule? Because I, I noticed, like, you know, sometimes you'd have to basically carve out a three-hour block where you could be showing a game. And, and yeah, I, I don't yeah. know rating-wise whether the NASCAR race would draw better than the, you know, whatever game you might be showing, but uh, would it affect the, the possibility of, well, we could have put a, a conference, a uh, Pac-12 game there, and instead we're having to put it late at night. Yeah, that was, uh, you know, that was something we had to work around um, in the past. And we, we don't have many of the, I mean, the only thing I can think of is, is, you know, um, early season, we work around, you know, some U.S. Open tennis uh, conflicts yeah. in, you know, week one and two. But, you know, Fox actually has more to work around than we do. And, and MLB is probably the best example of this in terms of their both their the end of the regular season and their playoffs. Um, and that's my, that's, that's the best example I can give you of, you know, like we know based on MLB complications where, and their limitations where frankly, they're going to need, you know, where they're going to need college football more than when they're not going to need it. And, um, and it allows us to, to, you know, to, to sort of war game, if you will, the, the selection process so that, you know, so that, you know, we're, their priorities are evident to us and, and, and ours are to them. And you're able to, you're able to sort of, you know, work through it together. Um, and I say together in, in big quotations. Again, I don't want to make it sound like they don't do what they need to do at the end of the day and same for us. But it just, it go, it stands to reason that, um, you know, that uh, there's a certain level, probably, you know, at least 50 to 75% of the decisions can be made, you know, um, you know, can be made, uh, you know, with, with a firm understanding of what they're going to do either in the same week at the same time or to counter, um, you know, a particular, you know, selection. So it, it actually works pr pretty well. We, we don't have, you know, we don't have those complications anymore. We, I think, you know, we, we, we are, we're all in on college football and we load up, you know, three right. windows on ABC every week, either three or four on ESPN, three on ESPN two, three on ESPN U, countless games on ESPN three. Now we have the SEC network, the Longhorn network when they have their games, um, you know, ACC network coming down the pike in, in 19. So, you know, we've got pretty clear, clear sailing at this point for college football. So for uh, weeknight games, uh, I read uh, ACC Associate Commissioner Michael Strickland had a Q&A as they released their uh, 2018 football schedule, and, and he noted the part regarding how TV networks you know, typically will work with uh, the conferences, crafting their schedules as needed, looking for certain matchups on particular weekends. How does that apply to weeknights, and does that differ when it comes to, I'd like a Power 5 game if possible on a Friday versus a group of five games? Um, 
you know, every process is a little bit different, um, but the ACC in particular does involve us in pre- in providing priority requests in advance. Um, and, and by in advance, I mean advance in advance of them constructing their actual annual schedule. You know, a lot of conferences and, and, and you know who they are. I mean, they, they choose a different path, which is to, which is to issue schedules many years in advance, um, which, you know, while, while, um, certainty and predictability is, is a good thing on the one hand, um, you know, the ACC has chosen to be more flexible in the, in the, in the baseline construction of their schedule. And I think that benefits them ultimately in being able to be both responsive to storylines that develop, you know, on an annual basis, but also, you know, in certain instances to kind of get some clear air for their biggest games, you know, um, you know, their biggest game up against, you know, uh, um, you know, the red river game or, or, or Ohio state, Michigan doesn't do them a lot of good. And, uh, and so they, they've taken a different approach and I think it's to their benefit. Um, you know, we have, we have similar processes with, with, uh, with other conference partners in the, in the group of five who just by, you know, by ma- by the simple fact that they want to maximize exposure, you know, are, you know, provide as much flexibility as they can. And that, and that, uh, applies to midweek, uh, as well. Uh, for the, the new ESPN plus app, which I believe it's, is it coming in the next couple months or debuting yep. reasonably yep. soon? Uh, yeah, it's, uh, you know, it's, college sports- oh, I'm sorry. No, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to ask if there, if we'll see any uh, college sports exclusives on there that currently reside, for example, on ESPN three or elsewhere. Well, well, I'll say this: just definitely college sports content will be a big part of ESPN plus. Um, you know, we, you know, the rights deals we have in place are 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 what they are. So it's it's not, um, you know, it, it's really going to be incremental to you know to what we already provide on our other platforms. Um, you know the 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 group of five and power five inventory that that uh, that exists now is all pretty much spoken for uh, in terms of you know uh, agreements that are already in place. But there's a whole host of 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 inventory, and I'm not just talking about college football now. College basketball, men's and women's college basketball, and certainly Olympic sports, all the way down. Uh, you know the spectrum of both sports and conferences will be a big part of ESPN plus I think it's going to be our best vehicle ultimately to also prevent to present conferences in a comprehensive and branded uh, presentation um, you know a lot is you know you hear about these quote-unquote digital networks for conference X or conference Y that exists and you know some of them have been pretty good some of them have been you know pretty pretty light uh, or pretty sketchy in terms of access. And, you know, what we intend to do over time is create a, uh, a platform for conferences, again, up and down the, you know, the spectrum into Division Two, Division Three, even uh, potentially, where, you know, um, people can organize and index their, conf- their content in a, in a branded, um, you know, environment. Uh, that's easy for their fans to find, right? And indexed by sport and by school and by conference, you know, it'll just be, you know, a marketplace again over time for, uh, for um, you know, really any conference you can imagine. And 
I say that respectfully as a you know as a proud graduate of a Patriot League institution, Holy Cross, where you know I'm const- I'm constantly looking for more uh, Holy Cross content and not always finding it. And um, you know so you know whether it's you know you know you can imagine the the application can can really be turnkey for for anybody. And uh, you know and these these events are getting easier and easier and more efficient to produce. Uh, every day, so I, you know, I think over time this is going to be again another boon for 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 college sports fans. Right. I remember that at one point they had uh, branded uh, ESPN three branded conference uh, looked like applets that they uh, provided to some conferences like the MAC, yeah, uh, the MEAC, and a few other places, which basically uh, divvied up that conference's content in an ESPN three like uh, presentation. And then those conferences yeah, yeah. Could, you know, put them into a web page. And then that was their portal to, uh, to view that content. Yeah. And I think this is going to be, is, you know, a more modern, you know, and current manifestation of that same concept, right? It was a little difficult and clunky to execute, um, you know, you know, when you sort of stretched it across both, you know, the conference platforms and ESPN3, and we were trying to brand ESPN3 at the same time, and, you know, we found that, frankly, the presentation of content on ESPN3 was, was, was better if it was indexed in a different way. Uh, so I, I think this is, this is a, uh, th- you know, given the current technology and the current, um, you know, presentation, both through app and OTT and, and, you know, desktop and even onto, you know, televisions ultimately will be, uh, will, where, where, you know, consumer choices is, 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 is really the premium that fans put on, uh, access to content. Um, I think this will be, this will prove to be more effective in that regard. All right. I, I only have one more and it's actually outside of college sports. Uh, ESPN will have the rights to, uh, Formula One in the U.S. starting uh, yes. month, actually. And yep. uh, I'm kind of interested. I, I, I thought uh, NBC did a pretty good job growing the sport, and I'm curious to see beyond uh, what I see right now, which is uh, the race uh, broadcast looks like it's coming on like five minutes beforehand. Is there Will there potentially be any shoulder programming or anything – that's not uh, involved in the race weekend itself that we'll see on ESPN or any buildup to any events? Um, tough to say in that regard, Matt, and I know I'm on dangerous uh, ground here because you are an expert, obviously, okay. and, we are just, and we are just getting our feet wet. Well, I don't want to get you any trouble if, if there's stuff that's heavy <laughs> and ironed up. So. No, I mean, like, listen, we, we would love to, uh, to, to make sure that, um, that it's not just when the races pop up uh, that, uh, you know, that we do, that we do content, um, that, that remains to be seen. We're obviously we're our primary focus right now is on making sure that the presentation of the race weekends is up to the, you know, is up to the exacting standards of F1 fans. And by the way, NBC did do a very good job in my opinion. Um, you know, I, I don't think, uh, I don't think formula one's decision to come to ESPN was based on any, particular, um, uh, dissatisfaction with NBC's presentation. Um, it just, you know, they wanted, they wanted to avail themselves of, 
of of our platforms and our megaphone um, to help you know grow their presence in the United States, which is a which is a big priority for the new management. Um, um, and you know so we you know they de- they determined that that we would be the best way to do that. And uh, and you know I'm glad they did because I'm a I'm a race fan. I spent the early part of my career working on on motorsports for ESPN, um, you know, which had me you know working on NASCAR and Formula One and IndyCar and NHRA drag racing and Supercross and motocross, etc. Um, but um, but it's been you know it's been a while since we've had Formula One and and we want to make sure that uh, you know that we get it right particularly as it relates to the presentation of the races themselves and practice and qualifying and all that goes around a race weekend. Uh, Matt, any other okay. questions? I I didn't have any more, Robert. I don't know if you had any additional. Uh, so, uh, no, I, I respect uh, Mr. Magnus's time. So, Burke, I'll ask you this. So what's the uh, next big event, uh, college pros or whatever, that uh, you're looking forward to attending in person? Ah, boy. So uh, let's see. I'll I'll be at the Super Bowl, uh, but I'm not going to stay for the game. Um, I'm a New York Giants fan, so uh, so Eagles Patriots is close to the you know to the worst combination of teams that I can think of uh, for my for me from a fandom perspective. Uh, but uh, but obviously that's a gigantic weekend, uh, you know, for the industry and and. Uh, and we'll we'll be there. We'll have a lot of content coming uh, from the Super Bowl. It, you know, it, it's turning out to be, especially with the performance that the Eagles put on yesterday. I think a very intriguing matchup yep. uh, relative to you know, can somebody knock the great Brady off off the off of the mountaintop? Um, yep. So the, the Eagles will be the next one to have their chance. Um, um, it certainly doesn't look that way. Uh, he, he always figures out a way, and the Patriots' run is just so epic and so. Unless, it's, it's unless so, he's playing the Giants. Yeah, well, you know the uh, listen. Uh, having gone to Holy Cross, I have a lot of good friends who are Boston sports fans, and if you think that my phone wasn't blowing up like the second that the, the clock hit zero zero zero, and my only defense at this point is like Eli's two and zero against Brady. That's it. That's all yep. I got. But that's, that's a, a lot, pretty good thing to have. Yep, that's good to pull out of your pocket. I that's a pretty big thing to have. And beyond that, I think the next thing that I'm really looking forward to is is uh, is the uh, NBA All-Star Game, which is in L.A. this year. Nice, nice. Well, uh, Burke and Matt, uh, thank you very much for doing it. Uh, I really enjoyed it, and I, I hope the listeners do as well. Yeah, thanks, guys. I appreciate it. Matt, good to talk to you finally. Likewise, Burke. Thank you. Thanks again to Burke Magnus and Matt Sarziniak for joining the podcast. I really enjoyed that. And also thanks to ESPN PR. I'd always heard from Richard Deitch that you can't interview ESPN executives without having PR people hovering around, but there was no hovering. I guess uh, ESPN doesn't consider me as subversive as Deitch. And uh, schedule God's willing, a couple of more podcasts coming out later this week, one with uh, Scooter Vertino, who is Senior Vice President of Programming for Turner Sports and uh, General Manager of NBA Digital. And also one with Rick Cordella, who's been on the podcast before. Rick is the Executive Vice President and General Manager of Digital for NBC Sports. You can find all the past podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, TuneIn, Stitcher, RSS, and SportsTVRatings.com. Thanks for listening.